Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy, but sometimes that makes you do crazy things. And sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with Once Upon a Time doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producer Jeff Shane, joined by journalist Lori False. Lori has over 20 years of experience, primarily in crime reporting. She currently serves as the opinion editor for the Tribune Review in the greater Pittsburgh area. Lori previously served as the deputy editor for the Center Daily Times. She can be found on Twitter at Lori False. Episode 20, the case of the spoiled wife, the giving husband, and the small town murder. Center Hall, Pennsylvania's slogan is, quote, a great place to call home. And for a little girl named Marinda Heinzelman, it was. Adopted at a young age into a well-off family who owned a local funeral home and childcare facility, Marinda wanted for nothing. 
Having been born into so little, Marinda's parents wanted to make sure she had a stable and supportive life. As an only child, she got whatever she wanted, but it didn't seem to go to her head. She was also sensitive and caring. After graduating, she got two gifts, a red Mustang and a job working at her mom's preschool. At 20, Marinda was attending a local powder puff game when she met 22-year-old Sam Boob. Sam loved cars and couldn't help but approach the pretty girl who drove the sports car. He asked if he could take it for a spin, and while some guys might come off as a little creepy asking a girl to drive their car, Sam was charismatic. Marinda said yes, and speeding through town, the two felt an attraction that couldn't be denied. Sam came from a good Christian family and had a stable job at a solid waste facility where he was in charge of maintenance. Anyone who knew him described him as handy. He could fix anything. Sam used his skills to supplement his income fixing cars and flipping old tractors. He used that extra cash to shower his new girlfriend with gifts. Sam once even gave Marinda a pink tractor. In May 2003, after a year of dating, Marinda and Sam made it official and tied the knot. Soon, they bought a large, beautiful home on a lot just outside of town. Marinda loved the kitchen and Sam the large garage where he kept his tools. Over the next five years, the couple had three children and by all accounts, a loving marriage. Here's Jeff. So while they seem to have a good life and relationship, like a lot of couples, Marinda and Sam also had issues. And it seemed like for this couple, money was a big one. That nice big house that they lived in, it turns out that Marinda's parents actually helped them with the down payment. And there were months Marinda and Sam struggled to keep up with the mortgage payments. There were lots of times that her parents actually had to loan them money to help cover part of the mortgage or the full mortgage itself. And Lori, what do we know about Marinda having grown up kind of spoiled, for lack of a better word? What was her perspective on this? Do we know? The area is really split in the the place where she lived. People either had money or they had no money. And there was very little in between. And Marinda grew up. She didn't have to worry about anything. There was no money problems at all. I mean, and her parents are lovely people. Her mother in particular is a lovely woman and was absolutely committed to trying to take care of Marinda as best as they could. Sam was the working class guy. He was the guy who he might have things, but he worked hard for absolutely everything that he had. And that was the one thing that people talked about with him, how he was committed to working hard to give his family the best life that they could. And Marinda was almost more playing house. Right. She was a stay-at-home mom taking care of the kids. Yeah. Do we know how she felt about being alone while he was working all the time? There was not a lot that came out like at the time. There were things that, that played out, you know, over the course of the case. Up until things started happening, there really hadn't been a lot of warning signs about anything with Marinda. She seemed just as happy in their life as he did. But we do know that she was overspending, which was stressing the couple out. She was, because she almost didn't see it as overspending. She was just spending, which was perfectly acceptable in her life up to that point. She didn't really seem to acknowledge that there were restrictions when it came to money. Do we have any idea what she was spending on? Like, was she going shopping? Was she remodeling the house? That's 
hard for me to like reach back for. I want to say it was like just clothes and stuff like impulse things. And although she did have an interest in having the house look nice, it was very much, you know, a reflection just like she wanted the nice sports car when she graduated, she wanted the nice house and have the house be impressive to other people after she got married. After six years of marriage, Marinda was feeling like the spark in her marriage was gone. Maybe that's why, in August of 2009, when a handsome stranger approached her at a convenience store, she was intrigued. Outspoken and charming, Ron Heichel could have his pick of women, but he wanted Marinda. Between canned veggies and fruit, the conversation turned flirtatious. Despite Marinda telling Ron she was married, he persisted and asked for her phone number. Maybe it was the feeling of being wanted or maybe it was a genuine connection, but in any case, Marinda said yes. But just who was this mystery man who had eyes for the married mother? So Lori, what do we know about Ron? Ron was kind of the opposite of Marinda in almost everything where Marinda had a loving family that lived to take care of her. Ron's family was his mother who he watched be abused, where Marinda never had to worry about money. Ron never had a dime to call his own. And where Marinda always had people there looking out for her and really never had any kind of instance where she was in danger or or felt like there was any kind of downside to her life at all. Ron had had, you know, close blows before. In fact, he, he had been in a near fatal accident at one point. And other than the fact that they seemed to have an attraction to each other, they had very little in common. The one thing I think they I found that they did have in common was his brother had been adopted out. So maybe they connected over, she was adopted, he had dealt with adoption in his life. That could have been something they bonded over. Possibly. And this accident, I read that it, it gave him like a new lease on life and he always wanted to help others and see the positive and everything. Ron is somebody who is very easily led to something. If he has decided on a course of action, then that's the direction that he's going to pursue. And I've heard a lot of people say that about his accident, that he felt that that was a second chance. So he was going to grab life by the horns. Well, it's interesting too, because I read that the whole reason he actually asked for Miranda's phone number was it was a bet between him and his friend. Yeah, and it was part of that whole, I'm not gonna let life pass me by kind of thing. But ultimately, I think while maybe it started out as a bet, it turned into a real connection. Yes. We know they started texting pretty quickly and frequently. Yes. It became a very fast relationship, you know, and and I don't mean not just that it was quick, but that it was tight. Right. And it started over text, but Ron at one point wanted to, not surprisingly, meet and become face-to-face with her, but she didn't want to do that because it would be breaking the, you know, kind of the bounds of her marriage. That was the story. The account is that she didn't want to, but there's also a little bit of a suggestion that that maybe that was to bind him closer. You know, it was a little coy. Uh, Like she was playing hard to get. Yeah. From what I read, she kind of told herself that if she didn't meet him in person, she wasn't really doing anything wrong. It was just a a friendship. 
Yeah. That idea that it wasn't really cheating if it was only a text. Yeah. But at the very least, that's an emotional affair, which... Right. I think most people would agree that that's still a problem. But Marinda had a tendency to draw her own boundaries for things. Right. As we know, she's used to getting what she wants. If she wants to text this guy, she's going to. Exactly. On August 23rd, 2009, at 10.07 a.m., Marinda called 911. She frantically told paramedics that her husband, 29-year-old Sam, was bleeding in the front yard. Through her screams and tears, she told paramedics she was doing CPR. Just before the call cut out, she could be heard saying, I love you, baby. When the paramedics arrived, they found Marinda crying in the driveway. Down just a bit further, just outside the garage behind a parked truck, laying face down was Sam. He had been shot twice, first in the side of the chest, then in the back. It was a very brutal killing. There were burn marks on his back, meaning the gun must have been very close to him when it went off. Also, several of his fingers had been blown off, implying that he had been kind of putting his hands up to whoever shot him. And so, Lori, Center Hall, by all accounts, is a very small, insulated community. I can't imagine brutal killings like this happen very often, right? I can think of exactly three in like 20 years. The thing about Center Hall is it is a town in a very loose sense. It is almost more of an intersection. And then it has some houses coming off of it in an increasingly rural, like concentric circles. The community there has an incredibly low crime rate. Violent crime is lower than that. But if you are particularly the victim of crime or violent crime in Center Hall, it is almost unheard of for that to be something anonymous. The person who commits a crime against you in Center Hall is almost certainly someone who is known to you. But a guy like Sam, who was so well-liked and well-respected in the community, who would want to do this to him? That was the thing about this case that was engaging from the beginning. Because if you didn't know Sam, you knew someone like Sam. And the, the idea that if Sam could be killed in this horrifically violent way, right outside of his home, anybody could be. And so it's a very small place, but in August there was a fair in town, which would bring in a slew of new suspects. The Center County Grange Fair and Encampment is one of the oldest Grange Fairs in the country. And it is one of the ones that is still practiced the way that that county fairs used to be a hundred years ago. The fairgrounds, which are, are not terribly far from the boob home, the fairgrounds become a literal tent city. There are rows and avenues of old army tents that are set up and people inherit their place at the fair the same way that you would, like in some places that you would inherit your church pew, you inherit your space at the fair. And people who live less than a mile from the fair will still move to the fair for 10 days to live there. It's tradition. And there are competitions to set up your 
tent into the best house, you know, and there are some people who they might go home to sleep, but they still come and they set up their tent like a little living room or sitting room so that they have a place that is their base for those 10 days so that the kids can run off to get a snow cone or you can go play bingo, but then everybody gravitates back to their tent. And, you know, you go walking around and visit your friends at their different tents. It's a bigger town because it pulls people in from all over the county, but it's still in a sense, a very small town. But because it's pulling people in from other parts of the county, there are a lot of people that you don't know. You don't know if somebody is from Rush Township or from Snowshoe, or if they're a carny who came with the Midway people. And so the immediate thought for the police was that maybe this was a robbery gone wrong, that a, a carny, as you say, saw an opportunity and Sam got caught in that crossfire. That was an immediate thought because of the absolute rarity. There was a, a period of time in Center County where we went for more than 10 years without a murder. And that last murder that had happened had been a vehicular homicide that was not, you know, strictly speaking, a murder murder. Yeah, I read that crime, it's 73% lower in Center Hall than any other American community. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the kind of thing where a lot of places in Center County, you do not bother locking your door. You definitely don't lock it during the day. But a a fair number of people don't lock it at night. And this is the kind of thing where when this happened, you started to be really aware of your front door. And you started to be very aware of when you would see a shadow cross in front of your window because you're not used to this being something that you had to worry about. But rather quickly, the police started talking to not only fair workers, but neighbors of Sam and Miranda's. One of them had something kind of interesting to say, which was that he thought that the couple was having troubles and that he had seen a man coming by. He didn't know who he was or what he was doing there, but it definitely started to raise some potential red flags for investigators. It is not unusual for the investigators to have questions about what's happening in the home. That's fairly standard. It's particularly common in an area where, like I said, if you get shot, you probably know who shot you. They were definitely going to look at who knew him or who knew them. And another thing that struck the investigators as odd was, as we know, Miranda told the 911 operator on the phone that she was doing CPR, but when the cops arrived, she had no blood on her, which seemed weird. Right. The thing with the the 911 call was Miranda was speaking on the 911 call like Sam was still alive. Like she was, you know, trying to keep him alive, that she was working with him, you know, to to try and, and save him. Aside from the fact that she didn't have any blood on her, which kind of refuted what she was telling the 911 operator, there's also the autopsy said from the beginning that Sam did not last. The first shot was in the chest and then it whipped him around and that's when he got caught in the side. The first shot would not have kept him around very long, but the second shot finished him off quick. There was no opportunity for anyone to try and give help to him and that by the time the 911 call was being made, he was almost certainly gone. 
As detectives continued to look at all potential theories, Sam's family buried him. At the funeral, everyone was of course emotional, but Marinda was noticeably aloof. On the one hand, she appeared to be crying, but then there were no tears. Marinda's parents explained her odd behavior as stoic. She was now a single mother and she had to be strong for her children. But there was one person who wasn't buying it, Sam's brother, Ben. Here's Lori. Sam's brother, Ben, is really, he was instrumental in making a lot of the case come together. Not that the police wouldn't have gotten there eventually, but I think that Ben made it happen as quickly and easily as it did, which was best for the family, particularly the kids. He didn't think that her behavior made sense and it made him wonder about some of the things that she was saying. Ben was unsatisfied with the pace of the investigation and went to the station to share his concerns. Ben believed Marinda was having an affair and that it had something to do with his brother's murder. Ben offered to help the police in any way he could. Ben was taking the information that he was getting from the police and from the articles and from the police reports and putting them together with the things that she was saying and seeing where they didn't match. And so he went to the police and said, I don't think that this is what happened. And if there is a way that I can help, I would like to help. And that was when the police asked him if he would wear a wire and go and talk to her and see what he could get that way that they weren't able to get from her in a regular interview. And he got a lot. He did. She volunteered quite a bit in that conversation. That was when she admitted that she had been talking to Ron. She said, you know, that it wasn't an actual affair, that they were flirting and that she was trying to protect her marriage and she didn't want to have it go too far. It almost felt like from the beginning, Marinda knew that this was going to get unraveled and she started laying the breadcrumbs for the trail to head directly to Ron and bypass her. Well, right. She told Ben that she tried to end the flirtation they were having and that Ron didn't take to that and he became obsessed with her. And which would explain the man who was coming by the house, the mysterious guy, that would be Ron maybe trying to get back with her. And Ben, he was like, well, who's Ron? Who is he? And Miranda told him he works at the fair. And Ben actually said, you know, let's go find him. Can you point him out? Which Miranda did readily, right? Yeah. It was surprisingly fast that she folded on that. She was willing to ID him for Ben and the police followed immediately up on that. Right. And they brought Ron in for questioning quickly. And she picked him out of a lineup immediately. Yeah. And then as we know, Ron lawyered up. Yes. But it's just so crazy to me. This is such a small place and wearing a wire and, you know, interrogating your sister-in-law. It just feels like a movie. I can't imagine what Ben must have been feeling and how calm he seemed doing it is, I mean, good for him. Yeah. And he was there from Colorado. He had come, you know, just for the funeral. He was not local. And sometimes I wonder if being outside of it made it easier for him to see what a lot of people who were closer to the situation couldn't. Interesting. Right. Like he didn't buy this life that Miranda had been peddling. Right. With the police circling in on Ron, they got a warrant to search his trailer at the fairgrounds. While they didn't find a murder weapon, they got something that was even more valuable. His cell phone. 
On his cell were hundreds of texts between him and Mirinda, which blew the case wide open. The first thing police could surmise from the text was that the relationship between Ron and Mirinda was in fact physical, something she had denied. The pair had texted about meeting up numerous times. But what really stuck out to investigators were the texts from the morning of the murder. Quote, are you sure you want the pawn done? Ron wrote to Mirinda. Quote, I would love to have a pawn done, she replied. And so after the pond exchange, Ron started asking Marinda about Sam and what his movements would be specifically that morning. Will he lock the door when he comes in, he texted. Probably the garage, she responded. Ron continued to text her, I'm thinking before and you go to church for witnesses. He went on, I'll need the key and please keep your kids inside. He finished, you will have your pond very soon. So pond, Lori, I mean, I think we can all agree is code for murder. It was, and it was a completely ridiculous code because everything in front of it and everything behind it completely negated the caginess of using a code word. Nobody needs witnesses for the installation of a pond, and yet this is what they went for. It was ludicrous. And it was also something that jumped out at family members like Ben early on because Sam was a very handy guy. If Marinda wanted a pond in the, in the yard, Sam could have put it in himself for free very quickly. There was absolutely no reason to hire someone to do this, which only made it stand out all the more. But even aside from that, this idea that they're texting about where he is and what he's doing with the garage door and the keys and all of those things, and then just throwing the word pond. I mean, what were they thinking? The kind of framework that it lays for what was happening that morning Sam made breakfast for his kids before he came out into the garage and got shot. It shows that this was something that was understood from the beginning that was going to happen. Yeah, it always strikes me that those texts were occurring as she's sitting in the kitchen watching Sam make breakfast for the kids. Yeah. Texting her boyfriend about, quote unquote, pond, knowing what's about to happen is pretty tragic. But... Back to where we are in the investigation, it was about to get much worse for Ron because police tracked down his roommate, a man named Kermit Butts, and he also had a lot to say. He did. Kermit was also hanging around the fair, and he had been involved with like facilitating meetups. He had taken Ron to meet Miranda before. He was part of the way that they were able to confirm that there was, in fact, a relationship that went beyond text messages. Yeah, at one point, Ron had even told Kermit that Marinda was the love of his life. Yes. So Ron really, it seems, by all counts, was truly in love with Marinda. What, how she felt, we don't really know, but Ron was in it. He was. And I guess a theory, kind of going back to Ron's upbringing with the abuse, is why he would be so in love with Marinda. Do we know anything about that? Marinda had told him that Sam was abusing her. Given Ron's history, it probably not only made him angry at Sam, but pulled him closer to Marinda. It made him protective of her. It made him not question things that a rational person probably would have questioned. And we should note that none of the abuse could ever be corroborated. Not only was it not corroborated, it was adamantly denied by everyone who knew Sam. 
And did Kermit say anything to the cops in this initial meeting about the actual murder? Kermit told the police that on that morning, Ron had asked him for a ride again. This was something that was really not unusual. It had become part of their relationship was that Kermit would take Ron to meet up with Mirinda. But on this occasion, Kermit was actually asked to drop him off in a different location. He had said that he didn't want to be seen by the house at all. So he wanted to be dropped someplace else so that he could walk there. But along the way, Kermit realized that this was not the same kind of meeting that he had been setting up before. This was not a meeting up with your girlfriend situation. This was something bad is going to happen. So he said, you know, I'm stopping. I'm not going to participate in this anymore. But Ron got violent with him and said that I'll kill you if you don't take me there. And Kermit ended up waiting for him while everything went down. He heard the gunshots and then Ron came back, got in the car and they left. Let's stop here for another break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu Bean Dad The Dress 30 to 50 Feral Hogs If you knew what any of those were 
you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sam's brother kind of started this ball rolling, but Kermit really was the nail in the coffin for Ron and Miranda. Absolutely. Involving this third person in the whole situation was a really bad move for Ron. Without Kermit, this would have been a lot harder to pull together. With Kermit's story, police had enough to make arrests. Sam was charged with first-degree murder. Miranda was charged with conspiracy to commit murder. And Kermit was charged with aggravated assault and assisting a murder suspect. So at the trial, Miranda proclaimed her innocence, saying that she was wrongfully accused, but the prosecutors had a different theory. According to them, Miranda was a housewife who just got bored with her life. She was tired of living paycheck to paycheck, and she was hoping to benefit from Sam's life insurance. Prosecutors also argued that Kermit was not just an innocent bystander the way he portrayed himself to the police. They believed he was fully a part of the murder plan. For his help in driving to and from the murder scene, he was going to get $5,000 from Miranda once the life insurance policy paid out. Yeah. And there was even more to it than that because Ron was clearly being played through the entire thing. There was at least one additional man involved. In one of the biggest twists to an already dramatic case, they ended up with a Perry Mason moment with a surprise witness that shocked everyone. And that person was Wes Decker. Wes Decker turned out to be Miranda's other lover. That is another unforced error that they stumbled into because Miranda didn't discontinue that relationship while she was in jail after she was arrested. She called him from jail, which is how they found him to call him as a witness. What do we know about him? The relationship with Wes predated the relationship with Ron. And what it seemed like was she had a relationship with Wes and then she used Ron to get rid of her husband so that she could be with Wes. That is wild. I mean, what was the reaction when all this came out? This case became a soap opera. Every day, for months, as arrests were being made and things were happening, Little bits and pieces were coming out. But when this went to trial, you needed to get popcorn to watch what was being uncovered every day. It was captivating. It was the kind of thing that people were talking about. Did you see what happened with the boob trial today? And it was all becoming like really confusing because one of the prosecutor's name was also boob, completely unrelated to Sam's family. It was 
bizarre. It was like an episode of Law and Order, twists that were coming out of nowhere. You honestly could not make this stuff up because if you made it up, someone would tell you it was ridiculous and no one would believe it. I don't feel bad for Ron because he's a killer, but in a way I could see why you would sympathize with him because he was by all accounts fully in love with Miranda. He had been manipulated with something that was traumatic for him, which was the abuse angle. And he thought they were going to be together and she was just playing him the entire time. I do not feel bad for Ron. I mean, I, f I feel bad for anybody who's manipulated into doing something. However, during the appeals process, Ron has been challenging to work with. He is very angry at not just Marinda, but at the, um, the entire justice system. And a lot of his appearances have been on video, like not brought into the courtroom. And he's very violently angry in his comments. Do you think that's based off he just is so angry with Marinda and her betrayal of him or what he sees as her betrayal of him? The whole thing has evolved. I mean, Ron had a bad life and it only got worse when he started making really bad decisions. And I think that while it's easy for him to blame Miranda, I think that his real anger is probably at himself. For allowing himself to just become involved in this. Right. You can blame the 27-year-old girl that played you, or you can recognize that you are the idiot who got played. Brutal to be sitting there in the courtroom as Wes is testifying, saying that he was with Miranda and they were fully in love. And all Ron could do was just sit there and hear that. What do you make of Kermit being so forthcoming with the police? They probably wouldn't have as much to go off of. I think it's possible that the prosecution may have overstated some of his involvement. This was a very poorly planned crime. To suggest that a third person was involved in the planning of the poorly planned crime is kind of silly. And it's also the kind of overreach that that prosecution has been known for. I think the 11 months that he served and him pleading guilty to what he was accused of were probably appropriate because he did participate. I think that his cooperation was probably because he realized the extent of what had happened, which maybe he hadn't really known before. So you think he was not even, like the $5,000 thing was not even true? I personally think it's more likely that he was offered $5,000 after the fact and not ahead of time. Right, like keep your mouth shut. Yes. Here's a little payout. Yeah. I guess my last question for you is why do you think Marinda would do this? I believe that Marinda did it because she got the life that she thought that she wanted. And once she had it, it wasn't what she really wanted. And all she wanted then was to be free. I don't know that she even was going to stay with Wes. I think that she just wanted to cut everything off. And she thought the only way to do that would be to kill Sam. Yeah. It's not like she had a job she could quit. She was a wife. The only way to quit being a wife is to get rid of your husband. On March 12, 2011, after just two hours of deliberating, the jury found Marinda guilty. Ron was also found guilty. For his part in the terrible crime, Kermit pleaded guilty to hindering prosecution and a murder plot. He served 11 months. The mismatched murderous pair were both sentenced to life in prison without parole. Unlike many other states, in Pennsylvania, no parole means no parole ever. 
neither of them will ever get out of prison. Now the only sunset these two will ever see is from a cell window. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. Season 3 of the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, is in the works. We want to hear from you for the upcoming season. Do you have a story to tell, a connection to Pike County, or is there another case local to Pike County that you can't let go of? Please email info at kt-studios.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at kt underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 